us would love to have a God shield that we could throw up in our lives and keep God out of that area and keep from embarrassing and being embarrassed. But I want you to look tonight in this chapter of Scripture, and I want to talk to you on the subject, Preacher, I'm being sifted. And I'm going to take it from uh, Luke 22 and 31 and 32. Now, I've already read the verses to you, and so I'm just going to give you, in Simon Peter's life, four examples. If you're looking for a key word, here it is. We'll go through with the word examples. And there are four examples in here in Simon's life that helps us discern some things about being sifted. Now, first of all, I want you to look at verse 33 with me, and I want you to see Simon's confidence. Everybody say that with me. Simon's confidence. What is confidence? That is a self-awareness of self-ability. That's basically what it is. Confidence, and sometimes that's a good thing. In a lot of situations, you need confidence. Uh, and you need self-confidence. Some things, you young people need confidence in yourself to make it in this generation. But self-confidence can very easily spread its wings over God consciousness if you're not careful. You can get to feeling you're self-adequate and self-sufficient. Now, when that starts happening, you're going to get into a real problem. But notice Simon's confidence. Jesus said to him, The devil desires to have you and to sift you as wheat. But he said, I prayed for you that your faith fail not, and when you're strengthened or converted, I want you to strengthen the brethren. Now notice God, this is wonderful to me, notice God is talking as if he knows Simon is going to get strengthened. He didn't say if you do, he said when you do. Look at your Bible. God saw Pentecost before Simon ever saw the sift. <laughs> Hallelujah. This ain't going to help you like it's going to help me. But his confidence. God said, God said, Satan desires to have you. I believe that Satan might have been coming before God trying to get at Simon because the devil knew that Simon was going to be a rock in the devil's hand. And I, I'm not so sure if he's got to have permission to sift somebody that he didn't go to God on Simon's behalf and try to get that permission. I don't know that. I can't prove it by Scripture, so we'll just leave it at that. Verse 33. Notice what Simon said right after Jesus told him the devil was coming after him. Notice what he said. He said, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. I am ready. Now listen, there will be times in your life when you'll think you're ready. Graduation don't mean you're ready. <laughs> but there will be times when you'll think you're ready. You'll think you are, are, are at that arrived state. You think I, I had one fellow tell me the other day he was going to quit college. I said, why? He said, I'm going on out now. He said, I done got this many sermons together and I've done learned how to put one together. And he, I said, how many years you got left? He said, two. I said, how long you been here? He said, one. I said, you mean to tell me you're going to have one year and get you a few sermons together and you knew it was God's will to come but you're asking me to pray for God's will about leaving? Let me say something to you, friend. Just because you got a bunch of sermons in a book 
Uh, don't mean necessarily that you're ready. Your confidence may be pushing you into corruption. If you're not careful, his confidence. Oh, he said, I'm ready. And sometimes you'll think that you're ready uh, in, your, in your ability and in your attitude. But I want to tell you, God, I wrote this down, and I want to make sure you get it because I want to give it to me. We judge our readiness based on our uh, aptitude, aptitude. But He looks and judges on our attitude. Amen. And sometimes we think from the neck up we got it together when from the neck down God hadn't finished yet. But boy, our confidence, you've got to watch out. If you're not real careful, self-confidence will cause you some trouble in that shift. God will have to allow things to start happening in your life if you get confident or overconfident. Amen. You start getting, oh, well, well Brother Brown, uh, I have great musical talent and ability. I, I, I'm on the front row of the choir, and, and I'm not only on the front row, but I'm positioned correctly beneath the microphone. And Brother Hurt has recognized with his musical expertise that I am a talent in that choir, and I, I stand positioned on the front row in front of a microphone. I, I am like Miss Kathy. I am already educated. Amen. I've already... <laughs> Uh, you don't ever want to come down here and say nothing about these folks. We'll ride that horse till he ain't got no hair on his back. But I, I, I sing, preacher, and, and I tell you what, I'm thinking about a tape. Yeah, I've been talking to Brother, I've been talking to, to brother, brother Hurt and old Talmadge Lewis. I, they get me a bus. Well, there's plenty of them for sale. Folks just like you bought them, they're willing to give them away. Because they thought they were ready. And what the, the truth of the matter was, they're not. I teach, Brother Brown. My class thinks I'm one of the greatest teachers in this Sunday school. And I'll tell you what, I'm about ready to agree with them. Boy, when I teach, God comes down in that class. Them poor people next door, all they're getting is the vibrations from my room. God is in there doing a tremor. God is in there working conviction. God is in there. I mean, I mean, preacher... Preacher, you ought to come to our Sunday school class. We got it going on. Yes. And God's looking on that, atti that attitude while you're looking on that aptitude. That's what you know and what you, how brilliant you think you are. God is looking at your attitude and He's saying, mm-mm, where's the sin? And you may not say that out loud and think that in your heart. But God hears what you don't say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Brother Brown, I'm a, I'm a preacher here in the college. And uh, I tell you what, uh, when, when you have these boys preach, you don't let me say something. I got something to say. I mean, I got it, man. I'm homiletically writing down the line, Billy Graham will call me before he dies. It ain't no telling what he'll call you. But he's going to call you before you die. I, I, I'm going I'm to get that shot. I'm going to get that shot. And, and I, 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 I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be somebody someday. I am. I'm going I'm to have something. And, and there's nothing wrong with having a God consciousness in your heart and being confident in God's will. 
But I want to tell you something. When humility has to leave because your pride is so arrogant, probably that's not the right thing. I want you to see, sometimes, as an example in Simon's life, his confidence, God started shifting him because of it. Jim Baker uh, had one of the, one of the, I think, one of the empires of, um, of the decades of the 80s. I think he had one of the empires of this generation. I've never even been there, never seen, never been to Heritage USA at Christmas, Thanksgiving, or Easter. I've never been there for the simple reason, probably, I just never went. Probably should have went and saw it and wouldn't have mind seeing it at Christmas. But Jim Baker started thinking he des- and this is out of his own book, started thinking that he deserved a claim. He started riding around looking at what he was. He started assessing what he had. And folks around him started doing the same thing. Before you know it, you think you deserve a back rub. And who's to say that I don't, I don't have a right, as hard as I work, to have somebody pay attention to me? You start justifying what is not right when you start getting over confidence. And you've seen him when they brought him in a heap of emotions out of the courtroom with an overcoat on him and a set of handcuffs. And you know the story from there. He spent several years in jail for embezzlement. You know what he said? He said it was the sin that God used to get his attention to let him learn how to be a Christian and not a celebrity. Quote, unquote. I want you to notice number two. Not only Simon's confidence, but I want you to see Simon's carnality. Look at verse number 50. Now, I want you to see this. Look at, uh, we don't have this on the screen, but I'll, I'll read this to you. Uh, look at verse number 34. He said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me now, I notice Peter didn't respond to that. I notice you don't hear no more from him speaking to the Lord. But he said, today, I, I, I imagine that Peter's mouth wouldn't work. And Simon's voice got quivery. And Jesus said this, when I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said, nothing. Then said he unto them, but now he that hath a purse, let him take it. Likewise, his script. And notice what he said here. He that hath not or hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Now that sounds a little strange coming from a non-militant Nazarene. But he tells him to buy one. Notice down in verse 38. <laughs> well, they was mouthing now. We got two. They thought for sure he was going to war. And they was going to chop Romans' heads off supernaturally. And the Lord, they said, Behold, here two swords, and he said three words, it is enough. But I want you to notice the next time you see Simon Peter, he's grabbing one of them swords. And he had one of them. I don't know who had the other one, but I'm not so sure that God didn't tell him to take the sword here 
so that he could prove to Simon how carnal he really was instead of how ready he really was. Now, if Jesus needed a sword, he'd just... And there'd be one. But he told them to take one. They said, we got two. He said, that'll do. That's enough. They go over there and look with me, if you will, please, in verse number 49. Well, look at 47. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them, drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And when they which were about him saw uh, what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And before he could answer, one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. In John 18.10, it names him Simon Peter, and Malchus was the servant who got his ear cut off. Preacher, what is the point here? Simon's carnality. It was proven in two things, his temper and his tongue. His temper, he grabbed the sword that Jesus made available to let him know what he was really ready to do. Now you're going to have to go with me and walk through this and listen closely to what I'm telling you. Could Jesus have, Jesus have kept a sword out of Peter's hand? Yes or no? Could he have kept a sword away from Simon Peter? Yes or no? He let them have two. And he brought them, I'm by the Holy Ghost in my spirit, believe this. He allowed that sword to be brought by them men so that Simon's temper would flare up and he had cut that ear off. And what better time to have an ear cut off than when you got the great ear fixer with you. And he puts the ear back on. Why even cut it off? If God knew he could put it back on. He was trying to show Simon Peter he wasn't ready. That's all it was. He was sifting him. He was sifting him. And well, what has that got to do with me? You ready to grab a sword, ain't you? And let me say something to you. All of that thinking that you thought of your own readiness, isn't God letting you see you're not ready? He'll do it with that... With that yeah, yeah, that husband, that wife, that church member, that, 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 that Christian in general. Boy, when you get saved, wouldn't it be good if God buried that temper? I need a witness. Don't go quiet on me now. Yes, sir, that temper, it'll work on you. I mean, I mean, somebody will say something to you about the Lord, and you're ready to cut ears. Somebody will cut your church. You ought to love your church, but you never ought to have a temper that wants to kill somebody over a remark they make. But there, the whole issue here is not an ear. The whole issue here is not Malchus. The whole issue is Simon Peter and a sword. And he was showing this old boy how ready he wasn't. Has God ever done you that way? You get a victory. Come to church. Woo! Hallelujah! And get out in the car and your wife say something. And you cut them eyes at her. And she looks back and says, Don't look at me, stupid. 
She didn't get no victory when she was here. You got all of it and didn't share none. She gets in the car with them youngins and looks at you and says, I don't understand why in the world you going in and act so holy. You ain't even got no wife, boy. He's shouting on the credit. And, and you don't say, praise the Lord, dear. That's, that's just not how it works. That's how it's supposed to work. That ain't the way it works. Why don't God let it work like it's supposed to? Because He's showing you your carnality. You say, I tell you what, when I get you home and crank your broom up, maybe you can ride it to bed. She says, well, when I get off of it, let me tell you what I'm going to do with it. And you say, well, I tell you right now, eh, get out. How about that? We ain't even going home. <laughs> now, let me ask you something. All of you listen to this right here, because that happened probably in the last five days. Some of your couch has got evidence of sleeping. Now, God ain't mad at you. And I don't think you're any less a person than before it happened. Are you listening? Listen real close. I don't think you're a sorry Christian because you're normal. I just think God's trying to get out of you something that He wants to put something else in you. And the only way He can get it out is let you know you need to pray it out and you need to see it out because listen when you pull one of them little things and get off by yourself what do you really start thinking about I don't know why in the world I said something that stupid man I could have just shut up and would have been alright you know we would have made it through and now it's going to be two weeks of me and all y'all laughing real loud are the two weak people I'm talking about amen and, and but why does God better? why don't he just leave that ear on because he wants to show you he can put it back on when you cut it off. You, you, he's, you got to see who you are, but you got to see who he is. He can put that... And let me ask you, what do you think the old boy thought every time he looked in the mirror when he looked at that ear? It didn't even have no stitches. It didn't say he stitched it back on. He just set it back up there. And it was just like it when God made it. And every time he looked in the mirror... And that's how you're going to look at what God puts back on your life when your temper cuts it off. Let me ask you something. How can God show us what we really are if all we ever had was a victory? Carnality through temper and tongue. What was the tongue part? Oh, Simon said, I'm ready to go with you to prison or death. Jesus said, for tonight. He said, today. Cock-a-doodle-doo. He said, before the day is over, you are going to deny me with your mouth. Read them. I'm not going to read them. I'm not going to take the time because I don't need to. The little girl comes out and he said, I don't know the man. A man comes out. I don't know the man. Another man about an hour later comes out and he said, look. And then he cussed. <laughs> Temper, temper and tongue hooked up as two. And cuss. 
That's broken pieces. I feel better about some of the things I've done. But I've never cursed somebody who claimed that I was a Christian. I've never looked at somebody and cussed and said, I'm not with that crowd. I've done a lot of things, but bless the name of the Lord tonight. I can say this evening, hallelujah, I'm glad I'm saved, I'm glad I'm a Christian, and I haven't had to deny Him yet. It may be my opportunity, I hope not. But with your tongue, you can be carnal. But it's not because God hates you, and it's not because He's trying to make a sinner out of you. He's trying to get us to see that as He sifts us, the chaff will blow away, the wheat will come forth, and God will get the glory out of our life. Notice number three. Not only His confidence and not only His carnality, but look at Simon's contrition. Verse 50. The Bible says this. And Simon, or 62, and Simon went out and wept half. Say it out loud with me. Bitterly. Say it again. Bitterly. That means he wept uncontrollably and could not stop because he was so ashamed of what he had done. Now let me ask you a question. Why would God put a man in that particular predicament? Why would God put a man in that position? Why would God put a man in that place? He wanted Simon Peter to be put where he never thought he'd be in the weakest place of his life so that he would allow himself to see what he really was. He never dreamed of denial, but it happened. He never dreamed of cussing, but it happened. He never dreamed after seeing 5,000 people fed and uh, women and children and seeing Jesus walk on the water and he himself had water walking power and here he is seeing himself curse and seeing himself denying, but it happened. Oh, not to kill him, but to break him. Because he knew Pentecost was coming. Now keep your mind on what's going on. The devil don't like his name being mentioned. The devil don't like... Hey, somebody shout, Amen, right there. He don't like his name. Ushers, help these folks, please. Let them go out the store right here. Alright, help them out. Amen. Alright, Simon's contrition. Verse 62. He never thought it happened. But it did. You know something? My daddy taught me uh, one time something that was a blessing to my Christian life in preaching on this particular subject and way. He had a 12-gauge shotgun. He had shells. But you know there was no way you could ever load that shotgun till you what? Broke it down. Hello? You're never going to shoot a shell out of a shotgun that's not broken. And if God breaks you, that just means He's fixing to load you. And it, I need some help. If He if He loads you, that means He's fixing to shoot you. And if He's going to shoot you, that means He's I need a witness. He's aiming at a target, and He's going to do something with the load that comes out of the muzzle of the gun. Long as a gun is unbroken, it is unusable. Mark it down. His contrition. He was contrite, he was broken, and he was weeping. Let me ask you something. Have you ever come to the place of seeing things about yourself that make you literally cry and weep and get the dry heaves over the fact of how sinful and wicked your actions really are? 
Now, God's not trying to do that because He hates you. He's trying to do that because He's trying to load you up and aim you at something and blow it out of the water. If you ever want to be used of God, you better get willing to be broken. I'm talking about going through the deep places, going through the hard places. Some of you here tonight, the devil's been tempting you here. The demons have been after you here. Hell's been open here. I mean, everything in the dark has tried to come out and snuff out your light. The powers of hell have assailed against you this week. And the power of the devil is real. And the demons are having a jubilee and a jamboree. And everything around you is getting rocked and shocked by hell. But I want to tell you, greater is he that sits in you and working in you. Greater is he that's in me and you than he that's in the world. You had not got to worry. God's got it all under control. And if he's shifting you, it's because he's after wheat and he wants to get rid of Chad. Contrition. Brokenness. That's what God said. To put Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 8, in the, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne. You know, some people won't see God until something tragic happens. High and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. The train he covered his face, and with, with twain, uh, or with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors moved. <laughs> At the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me. I want to tell you, if you ever see God like God wants you to see Him, if you ever let God shift you and clear your vision up to see God like God wants you to see Him, I promise you, you won't be jumping out there telling everybody they ought to have you. You won't be jumping out there saying, let me sing. You won't be jumping out there saying, let me preach. You won't be jumping out there saying, let me uh, teach. You're going to be saying, my God, how filthy I really have. God ought to throw me in hell backwards. But by His good mercy and grace... He said to me, he said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst the people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, lo, this has touched my, thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. A bunch of us want to be sent before we're bent. An unloaded gun belongs in a gun rack. But one loaded ought to be in a tree stand. I saw the Lord. Then I saw myself. And I said, woe is me. Awful am I, is what that translates. Awful am I. Unworthy to be used. I don't even think y'all look my way, God. And he said, who'll go for me? And I said, oh, God, if you can use me, I'll go. And the next verse, verse 9, he says, go unto them and say, he used him. He called him as one of the first missionaries in the Bible and used Isaiah with great power. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something tonight. You ever want to be used of God, you might as well recognize there's going to be some times in your life when you're going to be confident. There's going to be some times in your life when you'll be sky high. 
There'll be some times in your life when you are absolutely able. There'll be times in your life when you've got backbone and you've got grit and you've got uh, all that's going to take. And then all of a sudden your carnality will pop up and God uses those arguments and God uses those skirmishes and God uses those problems and those difficulties that you go through to let you see who you really are to bring you back down to reality. And then what does He do? He'll bring you to a weeping heart and a contrite position. And then notice Simon's contribution. Simon's contribution, Acts 2, 12 through 14. Let me read those verses. And they were all amazed. This is after Pentecost. They just spoke in tongues, 16 nationalities. Spoke languages they didn't know. And there was interpretation of the languages. Every man heard the gospel in his own language. And notice what it said. And they were, hey, by the way, Luke 22, you only hear about Simon Peter one other time. And that's in 24 when he ran to the tomb and looked in and seen the linen cloth laying in the tomb. And the Bible says, and he pondered and wondered about these things in his heart. That's the last time. You only hear about Simon Peter after this situation. You only hear about him one other time. And that's just a mention uh, that there's no place, there's no place in the Word of God that you hear, I mean a predominant time in Scripture, that you hear from again until Acts chapter 2. And verses 12, 13, and 14, notice what it says. They were all amazed and were in doubt. Saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. In other words, they're drunk. But Peter. Now what in the world is a weeping, squalling, screaming preacher who's been brought to the bottom got to say, well, whatever he said, 3,000 folks like this could have jumped out of hell into heaven. Notice what it says, but Peter, I like that. Standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my word. And if you want to hear a sermon, read the rest of the story. Give me those points back, Brother Newton, if you will, please. Preacher, I'm being sifted. Well, church, I am too. I'll guarantee you, I haven't seen the worst of it yet. But the devil has, has laid it out on me. You just mark it down. He ain't lacking it none. But every time we baptize and turn them lights on and off, and every time we come to church and leave here with a good spirit, he sets up off of that, on that bank and he says, I'll see just how long this lasts. He, don't, he ain't never been down here at the bottom of this hill. Never. And he don't even know what them people over there are. I guarantee you this. He hates that with a passion. He's, he's sick of me sticking under his nose and preaching it to you. He's tired. Of me going across this country and seeing people fill up the altar. I was in Atlanta on Monday and Tuesday night. Had over 310 on Monday night and almost 400 people on Tuesday night. Flood altars getting right with God, having revival. The church busting loose at the seams and the Holy Ghost blessing the name of Jesus in the midst of the church. Wasn't but just a few folks sitting when I looked up to pray. People weeping, and the pastor and his wife over here uncontrollably weeping and begging God for power. I found myself when I was riding, I rode back home and went back on Tuesday and drove back. Boy, the Lord has been telling me all week just remain 
him to fight. Because you've got one to fight. Sometimes when the devil can't get to you, he'll try his best to get whatever avenue he can get to, to get to you. He knows how to agitate and aggravate and stir weakness. But I'm standing on the book and I'm saying tonight, God, just trying to use me a little bit more. God, just breaking me down a little bit more. He's going to take them birds shot out and put that buck shot in. Hey, I want to tell you something tonight. If you're on the rocks this evening and your hull's got a hole in it big enough to drive a tank through and you're going through trouble and problems by the half acre, I want to tell you tonight it's not because of anything but the favor of God. God is shifting your life. He's even allowing the devil to work and he'll keep doing that. And he's not doing it because he's mad at you. He's doing it because he's trying to load you up. And I want to tell you, it's not going to be namby-pamby, mud hole rolling, vanilla cup, uh, teacup kind of vanilla way for Christian living that's going to make it and preach in these last days and see this world overcome by the gospel. We're living in an age that is tormented and infested with hell and demons and seducive and seductive spirits. We're living in a place. I believe the only difference in hell and North Augusta is the fire. We're living in a day when the devil has attacked and is attacking everybody that loves this. I want you to stay close to me. I want you to help me. I want you to pray for me. I want you to stand with me in these days and with this church. And let's see God who owns us up in power and glory. Stand up with me. Oh, I promise you this. If you're looking for an easy road, join a Methodist church. Get in one of them liberal, dead, comatose, graveyard, mortuaristic. Get in one of them because it ain't going to be none of that here. We're in it for the long haul. We're going down the road with God. We're going to kick and scratch all the way to the rapture and give God praise. No matter what the devil does to nobody or anybody. Thank you, Jesus. Our Father, tonight we love you and bless you and praise you. We thank you that you're our Savior. We're glad that you're our God. And I pray for these church families going through the fire. With their preacher and with their church members and with their brothers and sisters. This is not an easy day. It ain't going to be. But hallelujah, Lord. I want to say thank you for teaching me, for helping me to be what I ought to be. Oh, God, move on my soul and my heart. And encourage us in these days. Encourage these people. As we get closer home and preach like this and tell people about the rapture and encourage Christians, the demons are loose and the devils are many. Wax worse and worse. But God, I want to thank you that there's power. Power wonder-working. Wonderful power in the blood. Preacher, I'm being sifted. The church I am too. Let's just wait her out together. Let's encourage one another. Bless the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. And stick by the stuff. 
Join me around this altar, if you will, please. And let's ask God's blessing on our lives, families, hearts, and the needs that we might have. Come on, we're going to pray for you. Don't stand there and, make, and think for a minute that I think you got it all together. If you need help, you come.